All right, we're kicking off this series. I'm going to jump into it. Uh, It's called Perspective, and uh, we're taking a look at our current perspective and how maybe if we had a little bit of a different perspective on some different topics, uh, that our life in this uh, life, uh, the the life that we live in this world, uh, might shift, might change a little bit. Uh, We're going to take some of the themes that we're going to look at is a different perspective uh, in how we see people, uh, in seeing people in the way that Jesus sees people and coming into alignment with how Jesus uh, treated people. Uh, We're going to talk about a different perspective in how we serve people, how we serve one another here at Lifehouse Church, but also how we serve in our community, in our neighborhood, in our workplace. Uh, We're going to take a look at family from a different perspective, and that's my third announcement. We have coming up on November the 7th, Dr. Kevin Lehman, and you are going to want to be here for that. Uh, He's going to be in both of our services. Dr. Lehman has written uh, umpteen books on uh, parenting, on marriage. He's written a book on how to manage people, a business book on how to manage people. And so he'll be here in both of our services on November the 7th in the morning. But then in the evening, we're going to have kind of a, uh, some tables set up. He's going to come. He's going to share for about 30 minutes. And then he's, we just get to ask him questions. And he's going to have a question and answer time. Here's what we need you to do, though. For that, we don't typically ask you to register for a LifeHouse thing. But we're going to offer child care. And so we need you to register for that. You can do so by going online. The registration is up and available under events. That's the evening, the marriage and family roundtable conference, uh, Sunday night, November 7th. And then, I know I'm talking a lot here, uh, on November the 8th, in the morning, if you know anybody who is a manager of people, who's in the business world, uh, we want uh, them to register to come and have breakfast with Kevin Lehman as he talks about uh, the way of the shepherd, how he talks about how to manage people in a Christ-like way. So, enough with the announcements. All right. So, family from a different perspective on, uh, on November the 7th, and then we're going to kind of close it out uh, in looking at generosity from a different perspective. Today, I want to kick the series off with eternity from a different perspective. A few weeks ago, I gave a message on uh, fighting for the mind. And to be honest with you, that message hit differently than a lot of messages that I preach on a Sunday morning. And uh, it just it, it resonated with a lot of people. And today's message, although not going back into uh, revisiting all of the things of the mind, uh, it does uh, relate to and affect the mind. Uh, that when we talk about eternity and we talk about having a different perspective, it's a new way of thinking. And, and so I want us to take just a moment and recognize that in the midst of our current culture, there is a spirit of fear. There just is. And, and, it's, and it's crept into the church and it's, it, it permeates kind of throughout every circumstance, whether it's the news or, or whether it's social media, that there's really kind of this sense of fear that's a spirit of fear. And, and I, I know that that, uh, that may unnerve some people when they hear me say that it's a spirit, that it's a spiritual force of fear, a spirit of darkness, a spirit of death even, that, that there 
kind of exists this this overarching, uh, almost this this. I don't know. I was trying to think of like an analogy, but like an atmospheric spiritual oppression that exists today. And I think we're just kind of going through life ignoring the fact that we actually have the power and the authority, as we just sang, to break that spirit in the name of Jesus. And so we're going to take a look at that. I I think that maybe for some, we have uh, allowed, as we talked about in the fight for our mind, we've allowed a stronghold in our life. And it may not be fear or death, Uh, But we've allowed a stronghold of the enemy, a lie where we're held captive by the lie of uh, something that's going on relationally, whether it's in your marriage or whether it's with uh, a child, you know, the relational dynamics of a child. It's that there's there's all of these things that we when we buy into the lie, it holds us captive and we can be free from that. And so we. Know that the scripture tells us that we overcome the enemy by taking captive every single thought. So whether you're watching online this morning, whether you're in the room, my heart is that today we would break the spirit of fear, of darkness, of death, and any other stronghold that you have in your life. Because your God, your heavenly Father, wants you to be free. We'll start in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. It says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear. Right? Well, this is super familiar to many of us that have been in the church for very long. We, we know that. We know that the spirit of fear is not from our Heavenly Father. It's not from God. It is from our enemy. But what he has given us is power and of love and of sound mind. In John chapter 14, verse 1, it says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus is talking here. He says, My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? In other words, you don't have to be troubled in this life because there is an eternity that is awaiting you, and he's preparing that place for us. It's easy for us to get so small-minded in the sense that all we can think about is our current situation or our current life. But the reality is, is our current life is just such a small little blip in light of eternity. And he's saying, listen, there, there is a reality here where we do not have to worry or be troubled in this life. There is going to be challenges, and there is going to be a culture that is looking for destruction. There's gonna, we have an enemy of our soul. But he's saying, don't be troubled, because he's preparing a place for us. I want to give you a little bit of a... Uh, kind of a story, or it's like a paragraph that Soren Kierkegaard wrote, and it kind of begins to put this into perspective in how we are to live our life. And I'll read it from the screen. It says, when the sailor is out on the sea and everything is changing around him, does it feel like that a little bit to us? It feels a little bit like everything has changed. When everything is changing around him as the waves are continually being born and dying, meaning they're coming in and they're going out and it's just this constant shifting. 
the sailor doesn't then stare into the depths of the, of the waves since they vary. They're constantly changing, so he's not going to stare into that. No, instead, he looks up to the stars, the sailor does, and why? Because they are faithful. As they stand now, they stood for the patriarchs and will stand for coming generations. By what means, then, does he conquer changing conditions? Well, through the eternal. By means of the eternal, one can conquer the future. Because the eternal is the foundation of the future. See, for us, as Christ followers, we have this beautiful picture of eternity. That when everything is chaos around us and it seems like like there's death and darkness and, and despair all the way around us, we get to look to the heavens. I recognize that Soren Kierkegaard is talking in the sailor terms of looking to the stars, and I understand that you know we're not looking to the stars, although some do. That's a different team, a completely different team. But we look to the heavens. We look to the heavens because our God is faithful. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. All of eternity, he is the same. This, if we can understand this perspective, if we can recognize that the situation that we find ourselves in, no matter how difficult, and I don't want to minimize your situation, but no matter how difficult it is, if we can recognize that where we are going to find hope is not in the changing world that we live in, but it's in the eternal. It's in the eternal. The truth is, is what we are experiencing, what you and I experience in our current context, really is uh, one, really kind of the best version of earth right now that there is. You could say, well, it's, I don't, did you look at the stock market last week? Like, it was up and down, it's crazy. And no, listen, what I'm saying is, is that in light of your current circumstance and whatever it is that you may be struggling with, whatever stronghold may be there, be present in your mind, the truth is, is there is 99% of the population of the world that would gladly change places with us. And it doesn't mean that we have to feel bad about that, but what it does mean is that in light of what we are currently experiencing, there is a whole lot of other troubles that exist in this world. If we have an eternal mindset, then no matter what we're experiencing right now, our perspective can shift and it can change how we go about life. So if I'm going to have an eternal perspective, then I've got to learn the art of a few things. The first is this. I've got to focus my eyes on heaven, not on earth. And I could even say refocus my eyes. For some of us, I think it's easy for us to get caught up in, in looking around us and looking at the earth and what's going on and the chaos, and we forget to look to the heavens. So we have to focus our eyes on heaven, not on earth. Luke chapter 28, 21, verse 28 says, when these things begin to take place. So I want you to just think about that for a second. Think about what your things are. Because the things that are, you're caught up in, the things that you're struggling with and are, are tumultuous in your life, you only know what those things are. But whatever those things are, 
when they begin to take place, when they creep in, when those lies creep in, this is what we are instructed to do. We are instructed to stand up. Stand up and lift up our heads because redemption is drawing near. Lift up our heads. Have a different perspective because when we're in the middle of waves coming in and out and knocking us around, he's saying, I need you to just lift up your eyes to the heavens and keep focus on the one, on the eternal, on the one that is constant. Uh, This last week, uh, my son and I got to fly uh, to Eugene to watch a game and and on our way to Eugene, uh, we took off here on Thursday morning, and we, uh, we were coming into Salt Lake City. We were landing in Salt Lake City, and uh, you know when you're flying, if you've ever flown on a commercial airline, uh, you know that when you're at altitude and you're flying above the clouds, it's so peaceful, right? The sun's coming up, you're seeing the sunrise, and, and it's just everything is great at altitude, and then you descend down into the clouds. And so we were descending down into Salt Lake City, and it turns out the weather uh, was really bad underneath the clouds. And so as we we're descending down into the clouds, there's, as you hit the, the, the cloud layer, you start, the plane starts to shake, there's turbulence. And, and so as you shake through it and then you finally break through the clouds, then it's just pouring rain. And it was like cold enough to be snowing, but not snowing. And, and it's just raining. And I was so fascinated by this because the, the truth is, is when we were above the clouds, the weather was the same underneath. Nothing changed except for our altitude, our perspective. And I wonder how many of us go through this life with everything storming around us and everything being in chaos around us, and we never rise above the storm and look to the heavens and experience peace even though the storm is still taking place. What part of the cloud layer are we living in? Are we stuck in the storm? Are we stuck in the chaos? Or are we going to look up to the heavens that even when everything is crazy around us, we're going to keep our eyes and our minds focused on the eternal, focused on him? Revelation 12, 11 says, They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. I, lo- I love the, that verse and I kind of hate it at the same time. Because it's so convicting to think about the fact that they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. I shrink from death often. They weren't afraid of death because they understood this perspective that their new life was more than just what was taking place here on earth. In other words, they were going through life not uh, they were going through life looking up, not looking around at the pers- at, at the situations that they were in. So that's number one. Number two is I have to focus my life on the unseen, not the seen. That so we're going to have to have a plan in place, a life plan, a purpose, a purposeful plan. That if we're going to go through this life when things do get crazy and things do rise up in our life, we have to have a preemptive plan that we know to put into place. 
See, most Christians give their lives to the things that they can see. But when the Bible comes along and says that if you want to rise up against all of the things of this world, if you want to rise up against fear and darkness, if you want to rise above death, then if you want to be above all of those things, you have to have a plan that is really focused on something eternal. You have to have a plan that's really focused on the populating of heaven. See, that's the eternal things that we get to be a part of. Is, as, as God's plan A for this world, we get to be people who take the message of Jesus to the world. And when we have that as our plan and our purpose, it changes our perspective. That's what Paul says uh, when he says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, we are hard-pressed on every side. And I don't know that there's too many people in the world ever, in the history of the world, that can say that as honestly as Paul did. When Paul says we are hard-pressed on every side, he was. In another chapter, he talks about all of the things that he had to endure. He had to endure the 39 lashes that Jesus got once. He had to endure them five different times. He, had to, he was beaten with a rod. He was shipwrecked, right? I mean, it was like his life was a country music song. It was just everything bad happened. Everything bad. They threw him into prison. But he says, we are hard-pressed on every side. All these bad things are taking place, but we are not crushed. We are confused, maybe. We are perplexed. We don't understand why all these things are happening, but we are not going to be in despair. We are being persecuted, that is true, but we're not abandoned. That even in the midst of the persecution, it would be easy for them to say, God, why have you let this happen to us? Why have you abandoned us? And the truth is, is he hasn't. He says, we're struck down, but we are not destroyed. So the question for us is, how do we go through these, these places, these, these times and seasons of our life where it feels like we're being hard-pressed on every side? How do we do that and experience the knots? Right? The knots in the scripture. That, that yes, we are hard-pressed, but we are not crushed. We are confused as to what in the world is going on in our culture, in our world today, but you know what? We're not going to be in despair. We might even be feeling a little persecuted, but we're not, we're not going to blame God. We're not going to believe that God has abandoned us. I talked to a, a student yesterday, uh, had lunch with him, and and he is on one of the most liberal campuses in the country, and uh, and he's uh, he, he's in a circumstance in which he is being persecuted as a Christian. And my conversation with him is, you know, you you can't let this bring you down. He, you know, it's easy for us to read these scriptures, but then when we put them into the context of our situation, 
it's a little bit harder for us to believe the knots, to live in the knots. You know, for this young man, my encouragement for him was community. You got to find community. Because he didn't have any friends. He didn't know who he, he didn't even know if he could tell people he was a Christian. Uh, certainly couldn't talk politics. He, 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 he just was in a situation where he didn't know who in his influence or, or circle he could even have a conversation with. He was, he's that kind of paranoid. Not, not, he's not paranoid, but he just, he doesn't feel like he can. I said, you got to get in community. You have to. Paul goes on and he says, and this is really what I want for all of us, he kind of gives us some instruction in how we get live in the knots. He says, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. He's talking about eternity here. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. How? How how do we not lose heart? Though outwardly we are wasting away, we are going to die. Yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles. And again, I'm not trying to minimize your troubles. But in the grand scheme of eternity, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And so here's that language again. We fix our eyes. We change our perspective. What is is it that we fix our eyes on? Not what is seen. Not what's going on around us. Instead, on what is unseen. Since what is, unseen, what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. This is a guy in Paul who, when they came to him and said, you got to stop preaching about Jesus, we're going to throw you into, into prison. He's like, great, fine. He's like, I've been trying to finish Ephesians, and so that'll give me the time and the space to do it. He's like, throw me in prison, I don't care. They said, okay, well, if prison's not going to do it, then we're going to kill you. He's like, finally, finally you're going to take my life. Because he understood when he says in Philippians 121, for for me to live is Christ. So if I live, it's fine. I'm going to continue to preach Jesus' message. But to die is gain. So you can throw me in prison and I'm still going to write about Jesus. You can kill me and I'm going to go into eternity and I'm going to have eternal glory. Either way, I win in this situation. And if we live with that kind of perspective, the things that are going on around us, the things, the circumstances by which we feel we are struggling with or we are a stronghold in our life, the lies, the spirit of death, the spirit of fear, all of this stuff, it just doesn't matter. Because in the grand scheme of things, we have eternity in mind. I wonder how many of us really just believe that. Paul didn't care. But I, but I wonder how many of us actually live our life this way. 
that you can't scare me with death. Because if I die, I actually gain something. And people with that perspective, you can't hurt them. I don't mean even physically, but emotionally. You can't hurt them with fear. It just doesn't work. Matthew chapter 6, in verse 19, it says, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Instead, store your treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. In other words, as we live this life on earth, we live so with heaven in mind. We live so building up treasures in heaven Right? We, when we do that, when we recognize that we're adding to the kingdom of God, we are looking at eternal things. We're sharing about the saving grace of Christ in people's lives and what he's done in our life. We are storing up treasures in heaven. When that takes place, our attitudes, our perspective completely changes. That wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. The truth is, is as we go through life, and, and if you're like me, I'm just going to be a little bit vulnerable with you this morning, that it's easy to get caught up in just the mundane of life and allow fear to grip us. It's easy for us to go through circumstances and situations and, and allow darkness and death to grip us. And as a pastor, you know, it's my job to present hope and truth. It's my job to equip you to take the message of Jesus to the world. And at times, I find myself feeling in the midst of everything that's going, around, going on around us a bit hopeless. You know, going into our sabbatical at the beginning of June, um, both Kelly and I felt like things were going pretty well, that... Uh, we were doing okay, that uh, as far as our ministry, it was going all right, and and we just didn't know if we really needed it. And it wasn't until about three weeks in, uh, in June, that we realized that we desperately needed it. See, it's easy to get caught up in everything that's going on and be on the treadmill of work and ministry and life and kids and sports and all this stuff and you're just kind of going, going, going and you're going through the motions and you don't even realize how outward circumstances are affecting you. And so as we recognized that we desperately needed it and we were actually probably limping into uh, our sabbatical more than we thought, uh, we uh, I use the illustration that it's actually literally true in my case. I, I broke my hip uh, back in 2020 and my wife's like, you're limping and you don't even realize it. Like you, it's not because it's bothering me or hurting, but I've just, I've kind of had to live with that limp for so long that I haven't even noticed that I've, I've got a little bit of a hitch in my step. And, and I wonder how many of us are desensitized to the circumstances that surround us that we're limping around and we don't even recognize it. When we get into that place, it is of utmost importance for us to be reminded of eternity. So I want to read to you how 
I, just even a few weeks ago, wondering as we come back from sabbatical, you know, whether or not there's even a church here. I mean, we kind of heard rumors that you guys still were around, uh, but but you don't know, right? You operate out of some insecurity and stuff. And, and even my, my pastor friends, I'm just going to just lay it all out here for you. My pastor friends are gripped by fear right now. And, and I don't even blame them for it. I mean, we shouldn't be those people. We should be people of peace. We should be people of hope and life. And, and on Sunday morning, that's what they're telling their congregation. But internally, they're gripped with fear because they don't even know if their church is coming back, ever coming back. They don't know if, if they're going to be able to even provide for their families or any of these things. And all of these external circumstances are, are entering in and they're, and, it, and they're buying into the current lie of the enemy. So I get this update this last week from my friend Juan Allen. Juan Allen is head of medical ministry, uh, medical ministry Columbia. He also is doing stuff for the international work. Uh, but he's a partner with us. He's not just a partner in uh, our ministry here at Lifehouse, but he's my dear friend. And uh, what Medical Ministry International does is they go into places that nobody else can get into and they bring medical care. And through the medical care that they bring, they introduce the grace and love of Jesus. And he gave us an update. He sent uh, Pastor Jay and I an update uh, this last week. And it says this. It says, San Pedro of Tapisca is one of the villages that Pastor Jay and a team, I think they went uh, last November, uh, Pastor Jay and a team served with a medical project. Well, along with Pastor William, Pastor William's Colombian, he's, uh, they take a pastor with them uh, to do a lot of ministry work and all of that. He says, uh, with Pastor William, we have kept working alongside him, and he's been able to visit and do follow-up with the leaders of the village. He's going again next week, and there are now a few families who are meeting regularly in a house prayer group. And now the leaders are open to allowing a church to be established in the village. It's a village, listen to this, with no presence of the gospel. We also did a follow-up on October 12th in another village, and there is a revival that's taking place among the kids and the children. And he shared a story of how, for example, the daughter of the Karaka. The Karaka is uh, the person in the village who organizes agricultural tasks, asks, acts as a judge and an advisor, directs rituals and ceremonies. In other words, it's kind of the most important person in the village. And so the daughter of the Karaka went home and shared the gospel to her mom and said to her, we need to change and we need to stop having black hearts. That's what she said. The Karaka was touched, and so she asked Pastor William to go to her house, and her and her family all made a decision to serve Christ. That's what's taking place on your behalf. Like, that's you, Lifehouse. And you can say, well, that's not me. I didn't go to the Amazon. I didn't. No, 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 that is us. And I, I, I say that with all humility, not because, I, I mean, I, I, I've been to the Amazon, I don't need to go to the Amazon again. I, lo I did it. 
I stayed in a tent in the middle of the Amazon for three nights, and I determined that I can do anything for three nights. I don't want to do it again. I will do it again, but I don't want to. It's, it, but there, we have a ministry that we partner with through finances, through prayer, through support. And by support, I mean encouragement, love, community. We have a group of people who are making an eternal difference for the kingdom of God. And when we begin to have that mindset, like, like to me, I'm like, I don't know if people are going to show up on a Sunday morning or not, or if people are going to watch online, but I was so encouraged. Like All of that stuff goes away because the gospel is being taken into places it's never been before. Those are eternal things. And those are things that we should grab hold of, that when we are in circumstances where everything seems to be falling apart around us, we can look up to the heavens and say, but man, the gospel is being preached. The, the message of Jesus is being taken to places that we never thought could be taken. And it's because of my relationship with God, because of my involvement in the community of Lifehouse Church, and we are making a difference for the kingdom. We should be more excited than that. There's two people that were kind of excited about it. They said, amen. But like, seriously, come on. I, I'm, not a, I'm not a hype up cheerleader pastor. You, you know this about me. There are guys who are way better at that than me. And it's, it's very few and far between that I kind of get jump up and down, excited about stuff. But this is the stuff. This is it. When we hear stories like this, when we hear stories about you going into your community and you having a friend or a neighbor who was just diagnosed with breast cancer and you get to lay hands and pray on them and be with them and support them through that treatment process, that's the stuff that's of eternal significance. You get to share with them that, yes, this is a horrible situation that you're going through. But this isn't the end. This isn't where life ends, that we have eternity in mind. I have my eyes fixed on something that is eternal. We have to live for treasures in heaven, not on this earth. Number three, we have to focus our heart, my heart, on faith and not fear. Now, I recognize that there, that statement, even in saying that, is a little bit of a loaded statement these days. There are people and churches who are saying, we operate out of faith, not fear, especially in regard to the coronavirus and everything going on with that. And I understand the sentiment of it, and I think that even today you'll hear my heart in this, but... But I just want to say to you as, as a pastor, as, as someone who, at least to the extent that you're here, you've trusted me to speak into your life, that there are people who are desperately reeling from death. That, you know, Jacob and I, we were in our lift on the way to the airport yesterday, and we were talking with our lift driver, and... Uh, I don't, I don't even know how we got, it, we got on the conversation, but she was sharing with me that her brother's uh, had COVID. He, he has COVID, had it bad, went to the hospital, came out of the hospital, but then had to go back, and now he's on, in ICU on a ventilator. And 
and we, and we all have our opinions, right? We all have, we have our thoughts and, and all that. And in that moment, all I could think of was she's hurting. We're so cavalier when it doesn't affect us. But when it hits home, how are we going to respond to people? We don't have to operate out of fear. That is true. We get to operate in the faith of the things to come. But we don't get to be a jerk about it. So, that was a mean, a loving jerk. So what do we do? What do we do in, in those moments? What do we do when, when fear begins to grip us? How do we not operate out of fear? How do we not allow that to become a stronghold in our life? Well, Scripture is very clear. This is what we are to do. In Psalm 34, 4, it says, I prayed to the Lord, and he answered me. There's a thought. I prayed. I prayed to the Lord. Like, like fear's coming in, and I got this thing going on in my life, and all of this is, is seemingly attacking me. I'm just going to stop, and I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. I prayed to the Lord. He answered me, and he, this is the promise, delivered me from all my fears. Psalm 119, 81 goes on and gives us more instruction. It says, My soul faints with longing for your salvation, but I have put my hope in what? In your word. So when fear creeps in, we pray. We get into the word of God. We read his promises that in the midst of feeling like we are going, everything bad is happening around us and it feels like we can't catch a break. We get into this word and we remind ourselves that he has never left us. He has never forsaken us. He will not abandon us. See, if we don't have a perspective that in the middle of our day when something takes place, a diagnosis, a relational problem, a, a fear of death or fear of whatever, when, if we don't have a practical Christianity that says, I'm supposed to, in this moment, when that's encroaching into my mind and into my life, it's in that moment that I pray. I stop. I find time. I get in his word. I read his promises. And then in Psalm 34, 14, it says, turn away from evil and do good. And it says this. It says, search for peace and work to maintain it. So first time I've, I've heard it, that, that verse uh, translated that way, and uh, I like it. I don't want us to get this mixed up with salvation because we don't have to maintain our salvation, right? We, once we are saved, we, we like... We have been saved. We've been filled with the Holy Spirit and God's moving and working in our life. There's nothing that we can work. There's nothing that we can do to make him love us more, to be better people, none of that. So don't get that confused. But it does say that we have to maintain our peace. And that's hard to do. Because when you live in a culture, in a society right now that is anything but peaceful, it's, a, it's hard work. It's hard work. We have to turn away from getting sucked into the evil, and we have to do good. We have to search for peace. We have to work and maintain it in our life. 
I want to read to you something. I want to close our time out this morning. I'm going to invite the, the musicians to come, and, and uh, they're going to play behind me. And I, I want to read this to you because I think it's so ap- applicable to what we're dealing with today, even though it was written in 1948. It was written by C.S. Lewis, and there's been a couple leaders recently who have uh, used this essay, John Maxwell, Pastor Chris Hodges, and it's just too perfect to not apply into our circumstances today, and so I want to read it to you. Uh, But this is what I want you to do. There comes some instructions with this, because it's about, uh, it was written in 1948, and it was three years after America dropped the bomb on Nagasaki and Hiroshima. If you talk to people who were alive during that day, uh, during the, uh, alive during that time, or if you go back and you read about American history during that time, what you discover is that people were, there was an all-out panic over the atomic bomb. When people saw the destruction of one bomb, when they saw a piece of metal drop from a plane and the amount of destruction that it caused, there was paranoia. People were freaking out. It wasn't the coronavirus. It wasn't terrorism. It wasn't kidnappings in Haiti. It wasn't any of these things. It was a bomb. It was the atomic bomb. So when you read it, this is what I want you to do. I want you to replace atomic bomb with whatever fear has got you. Whatever it is that you're struggling with this morning, if you're watching with us online, as as I read this to you, I want you to hear it, but I want you to replace atomic bomb with the threat of divorce or death or diagnosis or maybe it is the coronavirus. Maybe we have allowed that to grip us in fear. Whatever it is, I want you to replace it with that. This is what C.S. Lewis says. He says, in one way, we think a great deal too much of the atomic bomb. How are we to live in an atomic age? I'm tempted to reply, why, as you have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year, or as you would have lived in a Viking age when the raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat any night. Or indeed, as you are already living in an age of cancer, syphilis, in an age of paralysis, in an age of air raids, in an age of railway accidents, in an age of motor accidents. In other words, this is what he says. He says, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Let me read that to you again. It's really important. Do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. It's interesting, through 2020, there was a lot of talk about unprecedented times, that this is unprecedented. That is categorically not true. It's not true. There's been plenty of precedents of things that have taken place in the history of our world that have been far worse even than what we are currently experiencing and going through. What's interesting, though, is when 
someone says that there's not a precedence for this or this is unprecedented, what they're really telling you is no one in the history of the world has ever experienced this. And what that does is it perpetuates a double dose of fear into your life. But it's nonsense. He goes on and he says, Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented. And quite a high percentage of us were going to die in unpleasant ways. <laughs> Yay. We had indeed one very great advantage over our ancestors and aesthetics, but we have that still. It is perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances and in which death itself was not a chance at all, but a certainty. This is the first point to be made. And the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together Pull ourselves together. If we're all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things like praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting our, with our, uh, to our friends over a pint and a game of darts. Yes, C.S. Lewis drank a pint. And for that, I am so grateful. It's just freedom. Rather than being huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies, but they need not dominate our minds. When these things take place, going all the way back to the beginning of the message. When these things take place, whatever these things are in your life, when these things take place, this is what we're to do. We're to stand up. So can we stand? We're to stand up and we're to lift our heads. We are to look to the heavens. We are to look to the one who is unchanging. And this is what I want us to do this morning. We're going to I want to pray for you, but we're also going to invite you to come and get prayer. Typically, the prayer team is off to the sides. I'm asking the prayer team to come kind of in the front here. And, and I'm going to invite you to step out of your comfort zone and into somewhat of an awkward situation where people see you. I think there's, a, there's like a, a meme that's out there that's like, uh-oh, people, you know, like, People will actually see you come forward and get prayer. But here's what I know. Is that if you have some of these things in your life, whatever these things are, if you have fear, if fear has gripped you, if it's taken over your life, come and get prayer. Let somebody lay hands on you, pray over you. Listen, my prayer for all of us and all of you who are watching online is today the spirit of fear is broken. Let's pray.